0: Dohar, and from the uh, parasha itself, the blessings and the curses are mentioned in this particular week's portion. Like, I mean, there's enough in the uh, in the uh, Torah. There's enough room to you know, to stick in a couple of these uh, curses and uh, blessings elsewhere. But it's all been confined right here into this one pasha. Another strange thing about this particular pasha is that the story, the story, that revolves around Rabbi Shimon and his son, right? And so I, I will read you the beginning, the first word of Pashat Kitavo in the Zohar Hadash, where it says, <laughs> Rabbi Shimon, as we all know, was uh, compelled to flee uh, after the decree of the Romans that they had set out to uh, to kill him. There was a decree. Karalahemness and a, uh, a miracle occurred. Suddenly a, um, a uh, carob tree appeared and a mayan, a well of water. In other words, where they were going to hide out Where, and we were there in Pekean It's a lovely place, I must say. And uh, that's where Rabbi Shimon and his son Rabbi Laza uh, came. They ate from this uh, carob tree and from the, drank from the water. And while they were there, and I don't know if it's while they were there that Eliyahu, the prophet, came to study with them or was it the other way around? They... Went there because they knew that was the place that uh, it was destined for the Zohar to be revealed. And no one knew of them in that place. Now it's strange that in this particular Parsha, the story of how the Zohar unfolded should be mentioned in Parsha Kitavot. In fact, the um, Idr-Rabba, the greater assembly, when Rabbi Shimon went out of this Meara, from this cave in Pekin, he then went to the Idr-Rabba, which is close to Midon, where we spent an evening. And there he revealed the Zohar for the first time to eight other students aside from himself and his son Rabalaza. That portion is not even mentioned anywhere as in Devarim. It, the, the complete section of the Idr Rabbah is mentioned in Pashat Naso. In fact, uh, even the story of his revealing some more of the mysteries of the Cosmic Code, the Torah, is mentioned in Parshat HaAzinu. Also in Deuteronomy. The the, uh, the uh, teachings that he unfolded and revealed uh, the day that he was going to leave this world. But here we have one paragraph concerning the very root of the revelation of the Zohar to this world. And the Zohar Hadash continues and one day the uh, Chaverim, the group was asking in the Bet HaMidrash, they said it's, it's written the curses of Torah Kohanim, Asim Vayikra, in Leviticus, there is the mention of some of the curses that would befall the Jews. And we know that when it says that which will befall the Jews, we already know not only from what is written, in the Zohar, but we know from from a practical point of view that whatever curse befell the Jew, actually it was only a sign that the entire world would be consumed in those same curses. It was not the Jew and everybody would be spared. And also there is Klaloche <laughs> B'Mishneh Torah, Deuteronomy. Devarim is called Mishneh Torah. Uh, a repetition of the Torah. And um, I, we might explain why Why is Deuteronomy called Mishneh Torah. A repetition. First of all, why do we need the repetition? In fact, uh, a great number of the precepts are mentioned for the first time in Mishneh Torah, in Deuteronomy. And they are not mentioned at all in uh in the other four books of of the Torah, and it's called Mishneh Torah, right? It's like a repetition. And in fact, the uh, it's been said that Moshe was the one who wrote Mishneh Torah, and the first four books was written by uh, Hashem Himself. But we, we and the and uh, the understanding is that why is this called Mishneh Torah, the rep- the repetition? Because And I haven't found another satisfactory answer while there are many. Because why are there five books? Right? Was it just, it worked out that way, you know, that there would be five books. But we know there is no such thing as it just happened to be so. There is always an underlying cause, an underlying cause meaning a metaphysical cause, that is instrumental in bringing about that which becomes revealed. It's like a person's action becomes revealed via the corporeal physical reality of man. But obviously, uh, an intelligent man thinks it through long before it actually becomes manifest. So we know that metaphysics always precedes the actual. And so, uh, why are there five books? The answer is because each book relates to the five essential and basic sfirot, the five bottled up energies called Ketachach Bina, Tiferet and Malchut. So now we have a clue. If it's, malchut, if it's Malchut, we have our answer in essence, if we understand what Malchut means. Malchut is the actual receiving of all of that which took place before and becomes revealed now. Because if it's called Mishneh Torah, again, the question, if, it's a, if, if the literal translation means Mishneh Torah, a repetition of the Torah, then how come we find new precepts in Devarim that are not mentioned at all in the first four books? The answer is that in as much as Deuteronomy Devarim is Malchut which means the actual revelation, the Olam Hasiyah the world of action where things become revealed. In other words, everything that was mentioned previously in the first four books they were actual and also potential. It is only until the uh, the uh, writing of Moses when he put down the fifth book of Moses, the fifth book, the Mishneh Torah, that is when the Torah actually began to unfold itself. Not before, not before. So it, here the Zohar, the the uh, friends were asking this question. There is there are curses mentioned in Torah Kahanim. That's Leviticus VaYikra. And, they, and there are also those mentioned in Deuteronomy. Why? He says, It's strange what he's saying. In other words, these curses that were mentioned in Leviticus itself was destined and brought about the destruction of the first temple. The curses mentioned in Pashat Kitavo, the the current week's Pasha, are those curses that would be dealing with the destruction of the second temple and Vahagalot Akrona, and with the final and last exile. What does all this mean? In other words, first they were providing us with an answer. Why do you need the curses mentioned here and mentioned again here? All, all in this Pashat Kitavu. They they don't proceed to give an answer. They're merely defining or providing an explanation of why the ones mentioned in the first four books deal with the first temple, and the second one deals with, and, the, and those curses mentioned in, Torah, in Deuteronomy deal with the destruction of the second temple. Alright, we'll leave that question in abeyance meanwhile. Rabbi Huda Barabaloi Amar, O al no Shel Bar Yochai Woe unto us that we have lost The benefit of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Shechase Lanu, Veim Mishio De Mimeno, Vim Hayu Yodin, Enesut Legaloto. And even if we did know, we are not permitted to reveal the place where he might be. Rabbiosi Bar Yehuda Kamio Mechad Baboke, one day Rabbiosi. got up in the morning. He saw many pigeons that were just flying around within his area. There was one little pigeon that was following the rest of him. He rose and he said, Pigeon, pigeon, true pigeon. Mimei ha the homing pigeon. That's why they call homing pigeons. Somehow they can uh, they can deliver and receive uh, messages. It's an incredible thing, right? They know where to go. How do they know where to go? You know, they say that's how uh, Rothschild made it the first time that uh, he wanted to know what was doing in, in the in the war of uh, I think it was uh, eighteen twelve in uh, in France and he sent the pigeon to know what the results were and how things were going there and that's how he conducted his you know his business but anyway the pigeon he says is from the time of the mabul remember the mabul the pigeon was sent out and brought back the leaf and so he said and he wrote him a, he wrote a letter and this pigeon took the letter in her mouth and went to rabishimon Now, no one knew where Rabbi Shimon was. She took this uh, letter. Rabbi Shimon received it, looked at the letter, and he wept. And he says, I'm weeping because I'm separated from my friends, and I'm also weeping on those things that have not as yet been revealed. What shall the generations to come do without this knowledge (coughs) while he was pondering over their question actually it was their question that he had written him Eliyahu came and he saw that Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar were crying and he said that Hashem has sent me here that up until now there was no reason to reveal a lot of the secrets, but obviously now Rabbi Shimon received the Zohar, which revealed all of the mysteries and secrets of the Torah. And he said thus, In the the first curses that are mentioned, Yesh Lamed Beit Psukim. There are Lamed Beit, there are 32. And in Kitavol, there are fifty-three. Thirty-two and fifty-three. rishon They didn't feel and the and the uh, incidentally he says that the um, the sins of those Jews during the up until the time of the destruction of the first temple were not as bad as those Jews who were during the time of the Second Temple, and therefore, the reason that there are so few, the reason that there are so few uh, curses in the uh, in the uh, first in Bamidbah is because it's dealing, you know, it's dealing with people who are on a more spiritual level. The second curses are dealing with the later generations that would be uh, more sinful. And consequently, there are more curses. This is, by and large, the explanation, although we don't understand what the explanation is thus far. I don't anyway, for what we've just said, as to why all of this revolves around Pashat Kitavo, right? What does it have to do with Pashat Kitavo? But in the essence, if we look at Pashat Kitavo, we've really come to the answers to all of the questions that we have raised. Pashat Kitavo deals with the destruction of the temples. And Pasha Kitavo essentially deals with the land of Israel. The message that we have from this Pasha, and as I as I mentioned, a, a Zohar in the Kabbalah for the layman, I mentioned the Zohar, that the Zohar raises the question: How come all nations of the world? the larger empires of the world, once they became an empire, seemed seemed to have lost what to do with their time. And after they became a large empire, they then went after this little country called Israel to capture it. All nations, all large nations, all large empires that have ever existed, Sought to capture this little country, a country which, during the time, during the periods between temples, was a wasteland, a literal wasteland. It could furnish absolutely nothing, and yet all of these nations, out of maybe a, a past, seeking a pastime, came to capture this country. And as the Zohar says, it's amazing that after they had completed that pastime they had completed the task of capturing and, and uh, occupying that country the empire disappeared shortly thereafter uh, and he mentions as Zoah mentions whether it was the Babylonian Empire that was a world empire came to Israel, and shrunk into a country that we don't even call Babylonia, but we maybe refer to it today as Iraq, a very small country. If it was Persia, the Persian Empire captured Israel. Today we don't even call it Persia. They've even changed the name also to Iran. The Roman Empire, you don't even call the country by its Roman name anymore. It's now Italy with a little city called Rome, England, the world empire captured or occupied the land of Israel and shortly thereafter disappeared as a world empire. What is is this nation of Israel and what drove these people, these madmen to capture this little country called Israel? Because and incidentally, in Pashat Kitavo, all of the precepts, or I should say, yes, all of the precepts, whether they are, uh, whether it's obvious or whether we can we would have to um, delve into uh, and deriving most of the other precepts, revolve around this Pasha, all of the precepts, which begin with the Pashat Bikurim, bringing of the first fruits bringing of the first fruits why is that precept first of all the first precept bringing of the first fruits and what is this precept the first fruits and even what and i won't go into that now because time would not have permitted me but if you read what the person uh bringing these first fruits the first fruits in other words if he had just planted a tree and it took five years ten years but whenever that first year of fruits appeared he couldn't eat it he would have to bring it to jerusalem he'd have to bring it to jerusalem he would have to give it to the kohen why and then he has to say uh And he says, Aramio, and he has to repeat all about the uh, Egyptians, how they made us suffer. And uh, we cried to uh, Hashem, and uh, he saw all of our pain. And he took us out of Mitzrayim, and he brought us here, and he gave us this beautiful land. This is, incidentally, a requirement in this function, this activity of bringing Bikurim. It was not enough that he brought the bikurim, he must read this parasha. So the Talmud states in bikurim, he must read this parasha. Why why must he read it? Why must he bring the bikurim? And the Zohar answers because this little country Israel is not the usual kind of country. It is essentially the energy center of the entire world. From Israel goes forth energy. Now, there are two kinds of energies. There is positive energy, and unfortunately, there is also negative energy. If, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, that was... One of the pictures I might say I really enjoyed. It was, but the moral was that they were looking for the lost ark, right? For whatever reason, this lost ark, if we consider it to be lost, had a certain power. And this, incidentally, was the Kodesh Kadashim that energy center when the temple existed, which the entire world, states the Zohar, the entire world, not only the land of Israel or the people of Israel, but the entire world received their nourishment, not spiritual nourishment, but literally. Literally the nourishment that washes away not only physical diseases, but the, the mental diseases that plague people, whether it's chaos, struct disorder, in family life, whatever. During the time of the temple, with the ark being there, everything was washed away. Well, what happens when the temple disappeared? It was destroyed. Why would nations still seek that place? It it is still furnished the power. And so we must depend on another Zohar that we quoted on Tisha B'Av and mentioned in Vayikra, mentioned in Vayikra, and reveals this startling <laughs> revelation that the temple was never destroyed, it still exists, it's still there. If it's still there, why don't we see it? But if it's still there, at least we have the answer why all nations of the world sought to capture it. The story of the Raiders of the Lost Ark is only a takeover, a takeoff from the Zohar story that internally these great emperors, for whatever reason on another level, saw the temple, saw the Bet Migdash there with the Ark, and they knew that whoever was in possession of that Ark, they would rule the world. And that was correct. That was correct. What happened afterwards was because these people, these even these emperors, with their tremendous desire to receive... For the entire world, which compelled them. Not that one day they woke up without and seeking a pastime went to capture the land of Israel, but on another level, understood that this land of Israel, with its lost ark, which is still there in the same place it always was, if they could lay their hands on that, they would eternally, if they can connect to that, eternally rule the world. That's why they went after this little country. And that is still the force. In other words, with the destruction of the temple, the power of the ark did not disappear. If it didn't disappear, then why doesn't the force of the ark pervade the entire universe? Why is there peace? Why is there so much disruption within the world? The answer is that the Kohen, the Kohen, who performed whatever he did, such as the function of the Bikurim, as one of those functions, the Kohen could connect and act as a chariot because he was Hesed, he could connect, he could make that connection between the force, the energy of the of the Ark, the energy of the Ark, and bring this energy to the entire world. And there was peace. During the time of the temple, there was peace. After the destruction, The destruction did not mean the destruction of the temple, but that the Kohen was deprived of that benefit of connecting with the ark, because nobody knows where it is. Or, shall I better say, the Kohanim today, unfortunately, do not know how to connect. Not that today even the Kohen cannot connect. He can connect to that today. But unfortunately or maybe it's supposed to be that way, there are very few Kohanim that have learned the meditation and the connection to that Ark. Now while the Zohar specifically, and the, the Ari and the Sha'aruch HaKodesh specifically outline the connections to the Beta Migdash because for those who know the beta Migdash is such a source of energy it can serve everyone well, even today. Not to the extent, obviously, as the way the Kohain was able to tap that energy. Because the Kohain had this kind of a vessel that can handle, you know, it's like electricity coming out of the power station. These bulbs in here can't handle that kind of energy. What happens is they transform down the power of the electricity coming out of the hydroelectric plant, and it keeps going down and down and down until such time as where it can be brought into a home. Even then, whether it's 220 or or 110, but the intensity of that kind of energy that comes out of the power plant, can't be handled by everyone or everything. The Kohen, the Kohen, meaning the right Kohain, could handle that energy even today, could handle that energy if he knew how to connect. The Bikurim mentioned here. What's so important about the Bikurim was our question. The answer is rather quite simple. What is Bikurim? The first. The first fruits. What's so important about the first fruits? The first fruits, and in fact the same word as B'chaw. What's so important about the B'chaw? What's so powerful about the B'chaw? But the B'chaw as well as the bikurim, being first meaning it is the Keter. What does first mean? The head. What is Keter the seed what is the Kohain Hesed the first of the seven sphirot what does that mean it means that he can he contains all of every manifestation everything less than that is a transformation down to malchut but the Kohain being the chariot of Hesed means that his internal composite is one of all inclusiveness. He could handle that that kind of energy, therefore it was the Kohen that can handle the Bikurim, and therefore the Bikurim must be given to the Kohen, not because we have to support the Kohen, which is the way, generally, the interpretation of why the Bikurim were brought to the Kohen, because he did not receive a portion of land within the. St- within the state of israel only the other tribes the 12 tribes not the Kohain, and consequently how would he live if he didn't receive tithes like bikurim truma but that is not the reason because as we learn in kabbalah no physical reality will ever explain or is a cause for a metaphysical reality in other words if i'm building a house if I'm building a house, the building of the house made me think to build a house. Is that logic? Obviously not. Nobody thinks that way. First comes thought energy intelligence. Then comes the physical expression, the physical reality. Same thing here. If the Torah tells us that Bikurim belongs to the Kohen, then that's the effect of something else. What's the something else? What is that something else? The something else is because within Bikurim, since it's the firstborn, it's the seed. It contains all. It has captured all of that energy of the ark in Israel because Bikurim do not have to be brought outside of Israel, as you know. The precept of Bikurim is only in Israel. Only there must you bring Bikurim. Why? Why? Because these trees are tapping directly that kind of energy, and the first fruits of this tree captured it all. The second is already a second generation. It's a transforming downwards. So that also has a certain kind of energy. In fact, until after when? After the third year. Were the farmers or the people permitted to eat from those trees? Why? It's called Adalah. The first three the first three years, the same reason as the first three years we don't cut the hair of a male child. Right? A custom. Tradition. What's the tradition? What's that? No. No. And the reason is obvious, because the male The reason we call it a male or zakat is because the male is the carrier of the thought, energy, intelligence, of the DNA. Who carries the DNA? Not the egg. It's the sperm. Therefore, it's the male. It's the male that is so powerful in these first three years. In fact, you know the fontanel of a child's head. Does not become enclosed. It does not. It's the last part that becomes enclosed approximately around the age of three. It's coincidental, of course not. Three. Again, we know three means right, left, and central. It's completion. Now, now go ahead like this. It's raw energy. Okay. But in any event, this is the significance of Kitavot. Now here the Zohar, We asked several questions within the Zohar. <coughs> they asked, "What? Why are there two sections? Why are there two sections pertaining to the to the curses? One in Parsha Kita'vot and one in in uh, Leviticus in Va'yikra." They answered. One deals with the destruction of the first temple. So you might interpret that as meaning and there are only mentioned 32. But here you have 53 in in Pashat Kitabo. It seems like there are more more curses that will be directed towards people after the destruction of the second temple and the only thirty-two. I mean, if we want to take this literally, which obviously cannot. But the thirty, the thirty-two curses is directed towards those people who were there at the time uh, and onwards until the time of the second temple, the first temple. Thirty-two cases curses for those who lived until the period of the second temple, but fifty. 50, uh, 53 53 for for those who lived after uh, you know what just what's behind this this matter of curses what are curses I mean why curse in fact the Bible is a Bible that should uh, Bible is is Chaim should be giving life I mean let's say even if we sinned, why should we be cursed? Say, do not sin. Say, do not sin. But you no, know, that's that's a terrible thing. We all refrain from cursing people. When do you? When would anyone want to curse somebody? If he's done you harm. If he's done you harm, you feel the anger is so great that you want to curse somebody. In anger, you curse. Here. The Torah says, if you don't do this, that, and the other thing, you should be cursed. First of all, maybe he'll do tshuva. Or until the very last minute. What are are these curses about? And why the difference between the first and second temples? Also, further on, Rabbi Shimon foresaw that the destruction of the first temple would not bring a long exile. The destruction of the second temple would bring a, a long exile. And the proof of it is this one is lasting some 2,000 years. The other one only lasted a couple of hundred years. Should we ask or raise the question how come after the first temple it was only a couple of hundred years and why does this one extend so long the usual answer would be that's history we study history and we know the facts but in kabbalah it is not sufficient for us to study history history only gives us the material by which we can go and start working backwards What is a curse? I mean, even if someone curses another person, what is he doing by the curse? And, and we know from, certainly from Kabbalistic uh, writings, and the world has even accepted, you know, kiss of death. That's the, the diamond, is a curse. I mean, the whole world believes in curses. Strange, isn't it, a superstition? You mean someone curses somebody and therefore he drops dead. Well, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. So, you know, is there any validity to, to cursing? Or is it really a myth? But the world has accepted cursing. What is, what is behind? What is behind... A curse. The power of a person, the power of a person is obviously known to most of us because everything of a material nature. Of a material nature, even trees that grow, animals don't plant trees. Fish don't plant trees. Man plants trees. Man builds buildings. Man can do things. Obviously, man has been imbued with a certain kind of energy force that kind of permits him to do things That other kingdoms, like the animal or the vegetable or the inanimate kingdom, cannot do. They can't. There is a force in man. There is a force in the Jew. If you say this is the land of Israel, why was this chosen? Why was this land that we call today Israel called the land of Israel. And you've all, I guess, heard the introductory lectures. Because this is such a high-energy state, therefore the Israelis are always under that kind of, a, you know, pressure. They're arrogant, some say. Why are they so arrogant? I mean, I, I live in Israel since 1971. I never really was arrogant. Does it mean everyone has to be arrogant? But what is arrogance? What is arrogance? Arrogance comes emerges from a person who feels that he has something. He has a certain power and therefore when he's arrogant towards people, it means people must step aside. Why should they step aside for me? I'm arrogant, but why? I mean, what's so special? Do I believe I'm special? There are so many other people in the world. And even if I am special, why does everybody have to step aside for me? The answer is, because when you're in Israel, whether you are conscious of it or not, you are at least physically connected to that ark whether you're conscious of it, whether you even know of the existence of the Ark. You might still be under the impression the temple was destroyed along with the Ark. Where will the old new Ark come from? I don't know, but the old one doesn't exist. But we know it does exist, and therefore anybody who comes in contact with that country unconsciously becomes connected because of the physical connection. I'm not saying the physical connection is the strongest connection, but there is a connection. There is a physical connection. And we know the importance of physical connections. So that land of Israel can give an individual certain powers. That land of Israel gives powers to all peoples of the world. In fact, according to the Zohar, The energy to continue living for 12 more months all comes out of Israel to the whole world. You know, if you've listened to the tapes, you know what Rosh Hashanah is about. It's not a holiday for Jews. It's a holiday actually for all peoples because on that day, all peoples are judged, not only the Jews, but all peoples are judged on whether they will receive a recharge for one more year. We think Rosh Hashanah is just whether we're going to go or not go. No, it's more than that. Rosh Hashanah provides us with a new infusion of energy which lasts only for 12 months. We are all reborn again. But you'll say, it doesn't appear like, you know, like we, we died and we were reborn again, right? What is Reality. What's that? Reborn again, Jews. We're reborn we every year. I shouldn't use that term, right? <laughs> now, Jack told me the other day someone's calling me an evangelist. So I went straight to the Webster dictionary and looked up what evangelist means. It means trying to bring people back to something. Well we're trying to bring him back to the we're fundamentalists, as I say. Bring him back to the fundamental understanding of the Torah not not the corruption that has emerged from the Torah there's so much corruption that people simply have dropped it all because for today on that surface on that superficial explanation of the Torah it has meaning for how many peoples in the world three percent four percent maybe that's a lot So we are very much fundamentalists in that we feel that we can get to the fundamental meanings of the Torah. There'll be a message for each and every single one of us. Hmm. (laughs) We buy that. All right, let let us now... So we're we were in the uh, on the subject of curses, of curses, and let me before we get into further details, what what is actually a curse? The Zohar continues in Zohar Hashash Pashat Tithavol. BeGalut Harishonah Shel Beta Abayet Harishon Avru Yisrael Hash Hashvilim Hastumim HaElu SheBeseta. She'en avonam gadol. In the time of the first temple, the sins of the Jews at that time were not as blatant; were concealed, and because they were concealed, nigale avonam and nigale haket in other words, they knew the Jews knew when the galut uh, would end after the destruction of the first temple. They knew when it would end. Be Galutachrona shall sheni of Yisrael gan gan meaning the fifty three, the fifty three curses or prohibitions. Shehem had Rachim Hagluyim, Shavonam Gadol Alcane Satamavonam, ve Satam Haket Shalahem, ve Ink Behem after Hod Venechamot. What is he saying here? That in the first thirty two curses, we don't know yet what a curse means, but I If we explore this particular Zohar, we might come to uh, some understanding. He says, in the Bayat Rishon, (coughs) their sins were not as great. In fact, those curses, the first 32, were not very serious ones. And because they weren't that serious, therefore, to them was revealed the time of the end of the Galut and also Nechama, consolation and the assurance that they would go out of Galut. But the Galut of the second temple the, where these 50, 53 are of a more serious nature because they themselves had conducted themselves in a far more Serious um, negative way. Therefore, everything remained concealed. Therefore, nothing was revealed. There was no constellations. Nothing. That's what that's what it says in the Zohar. Not explica- It's not really explicable because what difference does it make whether the the uh, they conducted themselves uh, or they were. Worse, during the period of the second temple and onwards, or the first temple, they weren't really that bad. But they were bad. What is the difference? They were bad. If they weren't bad, then why why did the destruction of the temple come about? He does not, on the surface, give any explanation to this. However if we understand why the first 32 were mentioned in Leviticus and the next 53 in Mishneh Torah, in in Gitavo, there is a clue. Because beside what he's trying to explain, the difference between the two forms of curses, I mean... Why were some mentioned? I mean, they could have all been mentioned, let's say, in Leviticus, right? All 95 could have been mentioned in Leviticus. The 32, the 32, I'm sorry, uh, 32 and 80. That's right. Uh, but there are 95. Well, there are others. Uh, uh, 53, 53, 85, 85. He could have mentioned all of them in Leviticus or all of them in in uh, kitavo in Deuteronomy and uh, he all he, all the Zohar had to say was well 32 of those which are not as severe you know not severe ones not that negative that was directed towards the people of the first temple because they were not as negative as the people of the second temple. in fact the curse of Kitavo you know what the, uh, the curse is? Uh, uh we uh, there was only a mention of one but the curses uh that I'll be mentioned uh, Josephus you know tells us some of the curses that actually came came true he records Josephus one of them is that there was a mother cooking her child because there was no food And other curses that are mentioned. The curses that Jews experienced Not only Jews, but all peoples experience in the concentration camps. They're all mentioned here. The funniest thing is, in the destruction of the first temple, these curses didn't apply. I mean, they weren't severe. They were driven out of the land. They were driven out of the land. It's like the Spanish Inquisition what was the difference between the Spanish Inquisition and in other words, and the Holocaust? At least in, in the Spanish Inquisition period, the Jew was given a, a chance to leave. They told him to leave. If you stay, then you've got to conform and behave as we do. Convert. But if you want to leave, leave without your possessions. In, in, uh, in Germany, That was not the case. They didn't give anyone a chance. No matter if he wanted to convert. And be a a total German. That was not sufficient. There was no getting out. In the first temple. They were just driven out of the land. As it says in the Torah. If the Jew will not behave and conform. To the energy factor of this country. If he's not compatible. Because what is the internal energy force of Israel? It is a desire to receive for the sake of sharing, therefore it's a circuit of energy. And if those Jews were not on a metaphysical energy level reconciling, conforming to the existing energy, they would be driven out you know it's like you want to put your finger into a socket you don't know if it's live you move away it's that that's what the first temple was about they moved away they moved away and they came back the second time terrible i mean i don't want to go into everything that was it says in the it says in the torah that it came to a point and he also records it that they will go down back to Egypt as slaves and there will be such an abundance of slaves there will not even be a corner. There will not even be a master that wishes to purchase you. For nothing. Enough. They had enough. It was a terrible situation. Alright? That is the Second Temple. When When did that happen? During the time of the Second Temple when it was captured they it said it says here in the Pasuk, uh, in in uh, kitavo that they will uh, write right in the right in the uh, verse I mean the, the balance of the verse this is in chapter 28 verse uh, 68 and mm-hmm. hashem will return you in ships in the way that I said, never go back to you if you recall when they uh, during the time of the exodus the Lord told the Jews never return never see the face of Egypt again <laughs> this was what happened after the destruction of the second Temple it is not by coincidence Again, the Jew went to the right of Israel, went to Iraq, and when he went to the left, it was a disaster. In fact, to the extent that when Ezra decided to go back to Israel, not all the Jews went back. In fact, that's why it didn't end. Based on the reincarnation theory, we can understand it. They couldn't all draw the energy. All the Jews were not there. That could have done the job. They didn't want to return. It must have been great in Iraq. Not only that, not only that, but the Persian Empire, which was also during that period, right? Jews had it good, very good only it was so good that this fellow came this fellow Haman came on the scene and he was done away with so quickly too a plague of Haman and within a year it was all over with they were again back in control things were good after the first temple they went to the right they went to Iraq who was just why why did you ever ask yourself why was the galut destined this way going to the left after the second temple going to the right after the first temple these are questions that we can, must raise because when you raise these questions you're going to find all your answers the more questions we raise while it might seem to appear more difficult but you have more of the answer because we know the rule of Cause and effect. What came first? The question or the answer? The question comes when you ask a question, then you seek an answer. If you ask no questions, you don't look for answers. There's no nothing that compels you to look for the answer. Going, going to the right, to the east? Yes. Yes, facing north, yes. to the right. No, no, in if Israel facing... they went to the right of Israel. They went to the east of Israel. If you face north. If you face south, if it's, it's south. the opposite. Well, if you face, they didn't go. Even if you face south, in fact, that has to do with uh, you know what we discussed in the Talmud Esa spirit where, where are you sitting? Were you were you in spot? Then they moved to the to the left. But they did move to the east, no matter where you are. If you are even in Safed, north of, of Jerusalem, when you face Jerusalem and the east you still say the east is on my left is that correct the direction does not change direction does not change you might say it's on my left so rather than use the words right and left david i'll use the words east and west okay you know, since north is din and south is uh, hesed right so we'll you know so you say right is East and left is west. Right, that's correct. But there is a reason why. Why you know, like why was I? I was looking at Israel facing facing north. That's correct. But it still would be east, no matter which from which uh, side or perspective you're viewing the country. Iraq is east of Israel, and Egypt and Rome is, are is west of Israel. Right. Egypt considered. It might, maybe you might say southwest, but it's west. Right? No matter how you twist it, it's called that, you know. Is it almost like you're not going to look at Israel well from the water? You're going to look at it from the land. I'm the not sure. Okay, yeah. what did you want to say? Uh, East <coughs> centrality, they went to the centrality, west to the to receive Okay. The zohar, the Zoha in Pashad B'Shalach, and, that, and that's actually your answer. If we can only begin to redirect our thinking, you know how how horrible it is that science, in its uh, its in, in endeavor to to begin to explore everything mm-hmm. on a physical level, has has literally taking all of our minds into the, into the analysis of the physical corporeal reality, forgetting that the rule, that everything comes from the mind first before it becomes manifest. So why spend so much time and effort to explain things on a physical level when, if we can just go one step beyond, one step beyond. That's right. What made them go to the East? The Zohar tells you they were, they were not conducting themselves that negatively. They were not, like the people during the time of the Second Temple. We do not read in the Talmud, in Tractate Giten, of kamsa Bar-Kamsa during the First Temple. Also, Josephus relates a story that when the Romans entered Jerusalem, there were two Jews still quarreling. I mean, what else do Jews do but find a quarrel with his neighbor? And the Roman was appeared with his sword. And they saw the Roman come and paid no attention to him, but continued to argue with each other until he literally took their heads off with his sword. They were so... They're still arguing, right. They're still arguing. <laughs> Can you imagine the extent of what that land of Israel can do to a person? Especially if you're a Jewish and you've got this desire to receive of such an intense characteristic. Therefore, you're Matim. You see, you can reconcile yourself with that country. But there is a, a tremendous disadvantage because the internal energy force of that country is one of a circuit energy. It is the greatest energy force of a desire to receive. That's in Israel. But that inbuilt energy force of Jerusalem is a desire to receive for the sake of sharing. And if you cannot acclimate yourself to that kind of energy force, you got to get out. So what was Kamsa Bar Kamsa? You all, we, we discussed that on, uh, on Tisha B'arov. He, Bar Kansa brought about, according to the Talmud, the destruction because he couldn't be tolerated by another Jew. Couldn't be tolerated. Therefore, they went to the West. What is the West? For the same reason that when I visit the Western Wall or whenever. The the center has a tui or a trip to the Western Wall. We do not. We do not. We cry maybe for the same reason as others cry, but maybe for another ulterior reason. We cry because we see the destruction. We see this the hatred of one Jew to another, and therefore states the Zohar: Why was the Western Wall the remaining wall? Because in the west the sun sets the end of light the beginning of darkness is in the west the east is the beginning of light the end of darkness you see both in the west you see both too but you see the opposite the opposite view the end of light and the beginning of darkness that's the western wall it's a sign of the hatred it's a sign of no light that existed in that period That's what the Zohar is saying. Therefore, the more severe curses, which now we can begin to understand what a curse is, was directed towards the people of the second temple. Did the Torah know in advance that these people of the second temple would be worse? Was it preordained? So there you have the old question, which we will not discuss this evening. We've gone through that time and time again. Is there free will and determination, or is it all preordained? To say everything is preordained, you don't have to be a a firm believer in religion to understand that tomorrow is included in today, because what came first, today or tomorrow? If today came before tomorrow, then tomorrow is already included in today. No different than the seed. The tree that comes tomorrow, is it already included in the seed? Or is it something that came from somewhere else? No. Where does it come from? It came from the seed. Everything that follows came from that which preceded it. So that means today already includes tomorrow. If that's the case then where is free will where is free will the answer is that hypothesis is correct whatever is first already includes that which is second however states the Zohar there are so many universes when we say universe meaning in Pasha Toldot each individual is a separate universe by himself now Everyone can always assume another universe. Whatever universe you choose has already been preordained and predestined. That is correct. But we do have the free choice and and free will and determinism to choose which universe I want. There we have free will. That's what the scientists cannot reconcile with. How could you have quantum which says Everything is related. So if you if if that Chinese fellow in, in in Peking is eating rice, I am affected. Right? I'm affected because he's eating rice in Peking, I'm affected. I could be affected. And at the same time, I have free choice. How can I have free choice if there are so many external factors that determine what I'm gonna do? The answer is that fellow in China in Peking who's eating rice that can affect me already is predained as well. Because that is the cassette that includes someone eating rice in China. But I have the free will to choose which cassette. I have the free will to choose will I be part of the 32 curses? Will I be part of that mentality? That energy intelligence? Or will I be part of the real negative? The Western mentality. Shall we say Western mentality? Europe, which is considered a northern country, which is din, seems to have had more wars than any other continent that I know of, other than Jerusalem. Other than Jerusalem. There is no continent in the world that has seen so much bloodshed as Europe of all the nations in the world there is always bloodshed going on one way or another in that northern continent called Europe because according to the Zohar it's located in the north north is thin it's a cosmic influence I read an article that you might think scientists are becoming crazy but they say that we should treat violence as a disease. Because violence, after extensive studies, seems to develop like a contagious disease. It spreads. When you spot it in one place, you'll spot it in many other places. What's a disease? What's a contagious disease? It spreads. They notice that in violence as well. Where did the violence come? How did the disease come? A cosmic event takes place and engulfs everybody. It's like we we said about the criminals. Either we say all criminal, most, crim, most criminal acts are performed between the hours of five and seven in the afternoon. Does that mean there was a convention of criminals and they all decided the most fertile hour? For, for performing crimes was between the hours of 5 and 7 in the afternoon that, that's pretty ridiculous I didn't hear of such a, a conference or convention anyway it's a cosmic event it's a cosmic event there are cosmic years there are cosmic days what does the Zohar say concerning the Gid the, the sciatic nerve he says why are there 365 prohibitions it has to do with 365 days of the year. Because in each single day of the year, there is a particular cosmic event, a negative cosmic event. In other words, more murders will be committed on one particular day more so than any other day. More thievery. Lotignov, thou shalt not steal. There is one day in the year where there is a cosmic effect of stealing. So one who lives according to the Torah, he already built has this built-in security shield that he will not be affected. In other words, it's not enough to say or not be cognizant of the fact that I shall never steal. Why do we, you know why we read the Torah on Shabbat? Most Jews don't know. Certainly, those portions of the Torah. That has to do with Israel. Why do we have to read Pashat Kitavo in America? Does it apply? Does it pertain to us? What about the rest of the mitzvot? What about Yehud Tamar? What about Shimon and Levi destroying an entire nation of Shechem? What does all this have to do? Why do I have to hear that in the Bet Knesset? Even if they give me a chance because 90% of Sifrei Torot of the scrolls are anyway invalid you know so even someone who really wants to wants to perform that precept of listening to Torah they don't even give them they mean the cosmos won't even give them that chance but let's even say for those who want to why because when I read that I connect with that security shield of the Torah but thou shalt not steal Therefore, there's going to be a particular day that thievery is going to go on. And then you ask, how how did the thief know this house and not the other house? Next door, the guy was robbed. So you say, there but for the grace of God go I. Right? It could have happened, Chasver Shalom, in my home. Luckily, he picked a neighbor. But he could, you know, I mean, it was next door. It's not like he had to come from Harrison to... uh, to the south shore of long island that'll be a long trip right but he comes here or there why does he come here or wherever he comes is that free will is that free will ask the thief why did you choose this one and not that one after he finds out later that maybe this one had a dog he might say well i thought there was a dog here i mean he'll say but there is no explanation There is no explanation for a particular thief to choose a particular location. Absolutely none. None. Why does he rob a particular jewelry store and not another? Did he find out there are more jewels in this safe? There are no other places that have jewels in safes except this one? Why does he choose this one? That is the aspect of cosmic structure it's already in a certain cassette and people who conform to the negative aspects are part of a cassette they are they live in a total robotic consciousness a total robotic consciousness and they think boy they're planning and they're doing you know it's like the Manager in a bank, the loan manager, he's signing papers day in and day out and giving loans of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. But you know what he's doing every day? He's signing a piece of paper. He's doing the same thing for 70 years, signing a piece of paper. But it looks like there's a great amount of activity. No activity. It's the same thing for most people who live in a robotic consciousness. So the Torah understands this co- these cosmic events, understands that Pasha Kitavo, when we will be listening to the wait, we, this weekly portion, we will be connecting to the Ark. You can connect to the Ark, one of the channels. One of the channels. I don't say there aren't others, but one of those channels will be this Pasha. What do you mean the Pasha? Because the Pasha deals with Israel and all of its energy. It is the most concentrated, it is the most concentrated portion of the Torah relating to Israel. No other Pasha deals with Israel as much as Pasha Kitabo, and there it throws in all the curses, the bad ones. Naturally, where does the curse of the world come from? Let's admit it. Only from one place Israel. But we might also add where will all the blessings of the world come from, Israel? Because everything must have a side negative to itself and a side positive. This aspect of curses, the the we see it many places. We see it many places in the in the Torah. Uh, the blessing of uh, Avraham. He says, "Whoever shall." Whoever shall bless you will be blessed. Whoever shall curse you will be cursed. What is this aspect of cursing? L'Khalel. There are many words. There are a word of Aor. Aor. Also, but in any event, a person, a human being that is, is automatically connected to what we call energy intelligence. How do we know that? How do we know that? In Genesis 2, not Genesis 1, maybe some of you don't know there were two Genesis, but there were. There was Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Chapter 2 deals with Genesis 2. No, because it talks about Adam being born, coming out of the earth. And it says in chapter two of the reshit, verse twenty, "Vayikra Adam Shemot, the Kolha Behema, or the Ophashamayim, or the Sade, or Adam Lomasa Ezekin Edo. Adam Arishon, the first man, the first man called all the animals. And the uh, birds of the heavens by a name. The Zohar asks, why do you call them by a name? I mean, what would happen if they didn't have a name? Hey, you. I mean, that I know a pig is called a pig and the, and a cow is called a cow. I mean, what, the, what you mean? So I could tell my friend I saw the kind of animal. So I have a word to describe the animal the Zohar raises that question and his answer is that this instance is the instance where man, Adam was given dominion over everything in this universe man was given dominion over everything that means there is a special energy thought intelligence, that's why man can do certain things that uh that other kingdoms cannot do at the same time as the Zohar says there is nobody as bad as man because you see an animal when he sees fire runs what does a person do when he sees fire goes right into it doesn't know how to run away from it and goes further deeper and deeper and deeper into it an animal has that instinct to run away this is the plus and minus of a person he has this intensity. of The humankind has this intensity. Now if he has this intensity. A curse. With the word that is used. The words. I don't know about cursing in other languages. But let's say cursing in Hebrew. We know the power of the alphabet. We know that the world was created by the al so it must be a channel of enormous energy to be able to create planets and everything else. In cursing, the person is actually extending negative energy. When he curses, he's extending negative energy. And we know from Genesis 2 that we can, through certain words... So through certain words a structure of the words as written in the Torah Arur Arur is an extension is an extension of negative energy you say negative energy? I mean it's not a person it's not food it's, it's not a table but I believe the scientists that 99% of all reality is not physical You see, 99% of this table is not the wood, they say. It's the metaphysical unseen reality. They say that, in fact, this whole world is nothing more than, you know what? Thought. What a crazy man. He must have been, this physicist. There's nothing more of reality in this world but thought. Thought. So if, a, if if that's all there is, that's the real thing, then that's cursing. When you and if you use the uh, the power of the alphabet, it's even worse. That means through cursing, there is a transfer of negative energy. Even if a person wants to do good, if he can be overcome by this negative energy, he is now enveloped by thought, negative energy, intelligence. But that comes about, even the Torah says, depending on how you behave. Since in the first temple they were not that negative, the curses, the negative energy, intelligence that they captured was not that serious. In the second temple... The negativity, the, the human activity of the Jew, was so severe, so negative, that the Zohar says he wasn't even provided with. When is it all going to end? No, because negative energy washes out unification today and tomorrow is one unified whole not all of us can see tomorrow and even if we can see it if we can develop an altered state of consciousness that tomorrow and today is really the same it doesn't make any difference fragmentation division is only that which pertains to negative energy the jew of the second temple took this energy took the energy of israel And behaved in such a negative way that all of these curses that would come upon him is so negative only because they became, not what do you mean vulnerable? They became reconcilable with this kind of negative energy. You know, it's like the boomerang. You give out negative energy, that's what you're going to get back. All of these curses was only their own negative energy. Hashem, the Lord, was not discussing punishment. Conventional Judaism, or even those other fundamentalists, the non-Jew fundamentalists, he's no different than, than the Orthodox Jew. He reads the Bible the same way. God's going to curse you. How can God curse you? Do we believe that God is, is intrinsically positive or negative? If he's intrinsically positive, how can he curse? Where does that negative energy, if that's what cursing is about, where does it come from? Where does it come to him? If he, in effect, is only positive. The answer is Adam and You see, he controls everything. If he is the source of negative energy... The desire to receive for oneself alone, as was the case in the destruction of the second temple, that energy comes back to haunt him. He is the cause, and nobody else, of all of these curses. And now we understand why there are more curses in Deuteronomy, and they have to explain it to us. Because it's in Malchut. Remember, we asked why couldn't all the curses be mentioned in Leviticus? or all the curses be mentioned in Mishneh Torah, Malchut? I mean, why do you have to separate them? There is so much beauty. I mean, in this one Zohar, he's telling you why. Because Malchut deals with the desire to receive. That desire to receive can be a heavenly blessing. If it's a desire to receive for the sake of sharing. But if that desire to receive is one of One'self, self, in its worst performance, that's what you're going to get. The Jew of the first temple, he was involved in Pin, The lesser desire to receive. Therefore, it was obvious that the curses or the negative energy, curses do not come from the Lord. They do not come from Hashem. They come from us. But their negative activity The Jew, his negative activity in the first temple was not as negative. Consequently, the curse, meaning the boomerang of his activity, his negative activity, was not as serious. It was not as disastrous. He did not take that energy of Israel for oneself alone, as did the Jew of the second temple. Because that's where all the energy comes out from, and let us hope that uh, I'll, I'll give you questions enough until the tape finishes. Uh, that we shall be Zohar to connect, no matter where we are, to connect with that ark, the source of all energy of the world, the thing that can only give you strength. Because there is no end. You know, if we can only put our maybe hand into that. Electric power station gets some energy, but even that we can't even do. So where do you get energy from? And that's the only thing you hear people complain about is I'm drained. I've got no strength. I can't carry on. Like a battery came to its end, right? Can't carry on. It's all energy. Nothing more than that. And this, this week's Pasha is powerful for it.